everyone to a very special minute of the Great Escape Minute by Minute podcast, where we dig into the Great Escape one minute at a time. Today, we are joined by David McCallum, one of the original members of the cast of the film. Uh, welcome, David. Thank you. Yes, uh, I believe the only American or living in America member of the cast is still alive. And uh, we, we hope that that will that, remain that way for many, many more years. Oh. <laughs> we'll you do should, what we can. You should have good health. That's the important thing here. Thank you. Okay. Uh, so every day we're talking about uh, the, the, the movie, The Great Escape. We're going very in-depth into the movie, discussing uh, very small tidbits of, on everything. But in this episode, we're, we're going to get a general overview of what it looked like to be a part of the cast and what it was like to, to make the film itself. Um, so we probably should start from the beginning. How, how did you get the part? You, you played Eric Ashley Pitt, um, Dispersal. And so how, how did you get the part? Well, it's actually there's a political start to this whole thing because Britain after the war kicked Churchill out and Clement Attlee came in, and Britain sort of went socialist. And I was brought up to be very conservative. Um, my mother and father did it by example. They didn't lecture me or anything about politics. But I always felt that um, the individual is more important than anything. And um, the harder you work, the better you were rewarded. And I didn't really demand anything of anybody. And so when the Britain went socialist, I decided that I looked around and saw the United States of America. And, uh, you know, I'd seen it on the films, as they say. And so I thought, I'm going to try and go there. So I had an agent by the name of Derek Marr, a wonderful man who was very instrumental in making my career move along quite rapidly. And... Um, I can't remember the sequences of everything. I know I worked with John Houston in Freud, and it, but, but the the uh, the opportunity to be one of the um, escapees from the Great Escape from the camp came along, and I jumped at it. I mean, I, I was just cast as one of the uh, members of the cast. I mean, I didn't you know you didn't really do anything. And I, your agent called you up and said they'd like you to play, and I said, "Fine, wonderful. When do we start?" And myself, my um, wife then Jill, and our son Peter—I can't remember if he came the first time—but um, we got in the car and I drove to Munich, um, and we moved into a hotel and. Uh, it was tremendously welcoming. Bob Relier and uh, John Sturgis, and I forget the name of the first assistant, but, you know, they gave you letters and said, do you need babysitters and you need this? Whatever you need, they'd get for you. It was a wonderful production to be on. And that's how it all came about. Okay. Great, great to hear that that story. Did did you at all identify with with the character that that they gave you to to play Eric Ashley Pitt? I didn't know anything about him at that point. Um, I knew he was a flyer, and you know the first thing you do is go into wardrobe, and they put 
you know, the uniform of a flyer with the insignias on it so you know what rank you are and everything. And once I had the clothes and I had the name, I knew who he was. Subsequently, towards the end of the movie, I know I, I learned a few things about his wife and family, but I don't remember mm -hmm. at this point okay. exactly if that led to anything. You, you know, how, how long ago is it? Um, the, the, movie came out, the movie came out in 1963, so it's been 58 years. 63, so that we've been 50, doing it around 1962, right. yeah. Right. Yeah. Plus the 21 of this year. Yes. So that's, yeah, it's, it's quite a while ago. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Okay, but whatever whatever you can remember is great for us to, to hear about. That That's the important thing for us. <laughs> Because, because as you mentioned before, there aren't there aren't many people we can still ask uh, to to tell us about the, about the experience itself. Well, there's so many there's so many things that you remember. You remember that everybody competed to fly the airplane into the tree. They all they were all you know amateur pilots, American pilots. They wanted to fly the thing into the tree, and some of the actors wanted to do it too. And Donald <laughs> Pleasant, who was a good friend of mine. What I remember is there is a thing called Calvus Haxa, which is basically, um, what do you call it? It's a knuckle of veal, and they cook it very slowly with lots of onions, and, and it's delicious. Um, veal shanks, yes, veal shanks. And the best veal shanks I've ever had in my whole life was the restaurant by the lake, Starnberg Lake, which was close to the camp and close to the hotels. And we spent a lot of time there eating, um, overlooking the lake. And, I, and weekend trips, um, they had a, a map in the production office of the world, and principally Europe. But uh, each week when various members of the cast and their wives decided to go off and check out Paris and check out London, they'd put pins with their names on, on this map. So you, they knew where all the cast was with a push pin. But everybody was traveling around and moving about. And um, Jill, my wife, became very friendly with Neil, um, Neil McQueen, Steve McQueen's wife, Neely. And they went off to London and they went here together. They did lots of things together. And out of that, of course, they uh, made an arrangement in Beverly Hills for her son, um, Jason. We adopted a boy in, in, in California, Jason, who sadly died subsequently um, of an overdose of drugs because he got involved in the 70s culture. But back then, um, it was a very happy time. We, were all, we had all had a wonderful time together. Yeah, it definitely sounds that way. How, how long were, were you on the set? The entire, like, how long was the whole production? I think um, back then, I used to think of a movie as 12 weeks. I know when I did the, the, uh, the Freud, Montgomery Clift, I was only supposed to be there for a couple of days. And that worked itself into a week. And the week worked itself into six weeks or many weeks. Because and uh, because we never got the thing finished, and um, Montgomery Cliff became a very close friend. And it's funny with Monty. I remember the moment when I heard that he died, 
I was on um, Santa Monica Boulevard going past the car wash, and I pulled over, and I remember I'm weeping that Monty had died. What a wonderful man. Wow. Wow. There's so many memories, you know, they, yeah, they tumble out. And I, I, I get a bit like Ducky. I get garrulous. Right. That, it's completely understandable. Because um, as, as you said, you spend you spend a lot of intense time with people. You become friendly with them. You become friendly with, with, with uh, their spouses, their kids, you know, whoever's there on the set with you. So it, it, it makes yeah. sense that afterwards, you know, you can have a stronger bond with those other actors who, who you're working with. It makes sense. Yes, and you rarely see them. Um, you know, Monty came over to London to visit myself and Jill at one point. Um, but that's the wrong film. Let's get back to The Great Escape. <laughs> <laughs> well, again, we want to hear about your experiences. So that, that it, it's connected. Well, I did a series called Colgate, which was, had the similar thing in that you had your own bunk bed. And so in the camp on the set, we all had bunk beds. We knew where we were assigned and which hut, which was great because any time you had an hour off, you could just climb in your bunk and go to sleep. Very effective. It would be useless now because they'd never be able to wake me. <laughs> were, were, were there long uh, long days of, of uh, filming? Or because it was such an well, ensemble cast, Yes, there were a lot of creative juices flowing, and Steve McQueen and John Sturgis. The if the essence of that movie, which is a, it's a guy's movie, um, that that grew out of conversations between Steve McQueen and John Sturgis in John's office. They disappeared sometimes for a day on end, and they slowly worked. I think that's where the baseball glove and the baseball came. Um, and obviously the motorcycles. You know, <laughs> yeah, and the other thing I remember about the motorcycle was, of course, the, the wire that Bud Eakins drove the motorcycle in the jump. Um, we made that. And it, we got long bales of that rubber wire, and we took pieces of stiff rubber and just wove it, twisted it into a twist, and every six inches you'd put one on. So the, the actual wire over which he jumped was completely made of rubber but, and made by the cast, including me, I might say. And, and I assume you were there watching uh, when they made the jump. So what, what was that like watching the jump? I, you know, I've seen the movie so many times. I don't know whether I saw it when they did it or I, I was, you know, done eating carbon sacks on my leg. Ah, okay. That, that, that's fair. The, the, what was it like working uh, under John Sturgis as a director? Was was he helpful? Was he, you know, was was he stern with 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 all of the actors? Because there were, I mean, because it's an ensemble film, so therefore, you know, you have a lot of uh, strong personalities that 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 are moving around there. But Sturgis is the one who needed to make sure to to get everything done. Was so. What was it like working under? John Sturgis was tall. And, and very avuncular and, and a warm personality who made you very welcome right from that letter when you first arrived. But um, he was a, a, a consummate director. He was a wonderful director. Bad Day and Black Rock, which I believe he directed, is another of these those movies. 
I think he he liked directing men more than women, but that was something I heard. And if you check his films, you can figure it out. But um, you know, they they just don't come classier than the hero. It's such a terrible word, but he was. He had tremendous um, charisma. Okay. And he knew what he wanted. I mean, the film is a you know, take a look at the film. What that that is John Sturgis. That's the work he put into it, and it's it's immaculate. Yeah, there's no question about that. I mean, it's it's it's. I mean, it, it's a great movie. That that that's why we were doing the podcast on it. And uh, I mean, I've, I've seen the movie uh, more than twenty times. You know, it's 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 definitely uh, a film that's easy to get into, and you can you can feel how how much fun. You know, it it seems as if all the actors had when they were making it. And based on what you said, it sounds that way. I arrived on the camp for the first time, and um, we sort of walked into through the gate and into the barbed wire enclosure. And I am about to a guy wearing a baseball cap. Probably said Brooklyn or Dodgers. Or I don't know. I don't even know at this point. But he was, you know, in his 50s, bordering on 60 interesting looking man and we started chatting about the whole thing and I told him you know I had worked with American companies and I was a British actor and all that we chatted away and you know I thought he, he must be a grip or you know an electrician you know one of the working crew uh, and it, it was fascinating and then we started to work and the first thing that happened was was a shot of the trucks coming in through the gate so the camera was on a, on a crane, which was going high up in the sky. And I looked up and sitting on the crane was this guy next to the camera, you know, the operator. Well, actually, he was operating. And I said to Strassi, who is that? He said, that's the great Danny Fab. That's the director of photography. But he was so unassuming and nice and welcoming. And that was my welcoming to American pictures, Danny Fat, having a quiet chat, not knowing who he was. And then, of course, we had a prop man, Beady Eyes. And Beady Eyes, I don't know what his name is to this day, but he was from Brooklyn. And whenever John needed anything, he'd say, Beady Eyes. And no matter where Beady Eyes were, you would hear this voice in the distance say, I'm waking up. <laughs> so, you know, it's the first time you do a major American picture like that. Um, it was fascinating to work and see how they all, how they functioned and how different it was. I can tell you one thing, there was no tea break. <laughs> okay, well, because in British films, they do have their tea breaks when they're making them? The Union has a tea break. I think they still do. Uh-huh. Well, maybe it was because everyone wanted to get back to America after 12 weeks. <laughs> well, it's different. The, the efficiency and the, the the work ethic is completely different. It was then. I mean, I, right. I don't know what it is now. I always thought I, when Brexit happened, although it's sort of happening all the time, I thought, well, here is an opportunity. The, the British spirit and the British ideal of working hard and being better than anybody and producing goods that people say that's 
wonderful to be British. Um, it never happened, uh, or it hasn't happened that I've noticed. And I went to buy a car once uh, in a showroom, and it, it was, I think, in London. And uh, one of the things it said, guaranteed not to be made in the United Kingdom, which I thought was a terrible indictment of work ethic in that country. Okay, I, I can I can understand that. Uh, so what, what was it? American crews back, American crew, film crew back then, like a like a Swiss watch. Wow. Do you, do you think that had to do with the fact that it was John Sturgis who was directing it, or 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 all films at the time were were run that way? I think it's a consciousness of money. That um, you know, there's the below the line and above the line. Okay. And if you waste time in any way at all, you're wasting money. Right. Time is and money. I don't think time is money, and uh, I think they're very aware of that. Oh wow. Okay. So, what was it like working uh, as, as as being part of an ensemble cast where you know the, a lot of the personalities they might have uh, caused some t- was there tension between the the the, the different the actors? No, it was one big happy family. And as I say, they they meet up in groups and go off to, to you know, check out Europe. They, you know, there's a wonderful thing that sometimes Americans do that makes me laugh. You know, what are you doing this weekend? Oh, we're going to do Berlin and Rome. <laughs> I say, wait a minute, you're doing Berlin and Rome? I mean, yeah, we've only got one weekend and we really want to see both of those cities. I said, you know, you can spend a month in both cities individually. Um, you know, to, to, a morning in one, uh, which one's going to be the morning and which one's going to be the afternoon? I would suggest the evening in Rome, if I may, you know, because Trastevere and uh, the Antipasto on the sidewalk, uh, you, you'll have a nice time in the evening. But it, it always amuses me. Uh, and so the cast, had a tendency, to, you know, there they were in, you know, the, the cradle of civilization, and they wanted to make sure that they saw it all. Wow, that that's really amazing. What what did everyone think at the time that the movie was being made? Did everyone think that it would be a hit? That it would be something that that the audiences would would go for? I mean, it was one of the highest grossing films of the move, of the year. But what what was the feeling when it was being made? When you do anything, it doesn't matter what it is, you have no idea what it's going to be when it's finished. There are too many people involved, too many, you know, things, sound, camera, editing. I mean, there's so much. Um, so there's no real way of knowing. When it was all over, I heard that it, it had turned out well. And so I went to the premiere in London at the Odeon Leicester Square. And the the front three rows of the Odeon upstairs were all cordoned off so the cast. And I sat there, probably in around the third row. I think I was with Donald as um, he and I were sat together. And the lights dimmed at the appropriate time and the curtains began to part. And as they parted, that music, that march started. And 
that atmosphere and that music and those curtains parting was a magic time that I can remember to this moment. Wow. Wow, that that's really amazing. It was a spine thing. Yeah. Yeah. Is there is there a particular scene in the movie, whether it was with your character or, or with another character, that that you've always uh, enjoyed that you think it's one of the best scenes in the movie? Not really. Um, my daughter has never seen the, the scene on the railway station. She said, "I just don't want to see my my father shot in the back." Yes, um, but he did. He did that, have heroic. Yeah, but um, <laughs> he didn't survive it. Uh, un- and, unfortunately, uh, too, too many of the characters didn't make it. Yeah, the fact that Hitler gave the order to kill them all was uh, just dreadful. Yes. But it's, uh, you know, there are a lot of dreadful things happened in that war. Yes. Also, also very interesting, a statistic came out here um, yesterday, I think, yesterday morning that um, the COVID deaths in the United States, there are more people died of COVID-19 than all everybody who died in World War One and World War Two combined. Wow. Which is sort of a mind blower, you know. In the U.S. or in the world? Um... Ah, maybe it was more Americans. Uh, yeah, I think it's the it's the U.S. Right. It's, right. it's the half a million in the U.S. Right. Yeah. Wow. Did uh, after you made the movie, did, did you ever come in contact with with any any of the relatives of of the the real fifty or people who who uh, were familiar with with uh, with the real story that uh, spoke with you? I, I yes, because. There is a pub in London near King's Cross. When you go to King's Cross, you go to King's Cross to go to the pub. Um, and there is the, no, wait a minute. I, I've got to be very careful here. So I did three things. I did The Great Escape. I did the Colditz series. And I did Freud, you know, which has nothing to do with escaping or anything. I get them a little mixed up sometimes. But the escapee society used to meet in that pub every year. And I think they were people from um, the um, COVID series who escaped from the COVID castle. But also, I think there was a, um, a people from the great escape were there too. But I, I can't remember. Mm-hmm. And do, do you recall having conversations? It doesn't matter if it was it was from Colditz or if it was from The Great Escape. And did you have conversations with them about uh, the differences between, you know, fact and fiction of what happened? Well, I'm, um, I have no idea. Okay. I mean, I can make up a, I make up a lot of good stories for you, but I ain't good. <laughs> <laughs> no, I want to hear the truth. That's, uh, we're, we just want to hear uh, the truth. No. That's it. No. Okay. Um, is there anything else that, 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 you, you, that you feel is important that our listeners should, should – uh, should hear about your experiences making the movie? Well, there's a, a little joke in my family. And that I was married to Jill during The Great Escape. 
and Charlie Bronson came along and we were confined in a prisoner of war camp. And after the prisoner of war camp was we were you know, released from camp, shall we say. Yeah. Um, we were released from the camp. Charles Bronson um took my first wife, Jill, um, and married her subsequently. And I met Catherine, my wife now, which is K-A-T-H-E-R-I-N-E, um, but we're not doing print, so why am I saying that? Um, okay. But Catherine and I met, and we've been married for 53 years. Wow. Um, we, we, well, we met 53 years ago, um, and married for most of them. Um, and that was my great escape. Uh, so uh, there is that a significant change in my life happened during the great escape and now of course we have we have six toehead grandchildren um you know and then all of a sudden the 14 year old is six foot two (laughs) grandchildren suddenly are no longer grandchildren they're young men the way things change and move on it's very significant and the whole of world war ii you know We've moved on. Correct. It's it's, uh, but I think that's a very interesting record of what happened. Yes, I, I definitely agree. We we know that that that, that uh, it's been it's it's fictionalized, but uh, it still has the essence of 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 the 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 hope that all of those prisoners had, and they found a way to to, to make their escape. Right. Something I want to do, and I have to do it. Um, the rangers who went up the cliffs at Pandahawk, who actually opened up Europe to the rest of the armies, um, spiked the guns on the cliffs at Pandahawk. And I know a number of them were captured. I just wondered if any of them had anything to do with the Great Escape. Hmm. Interesting. Right. Well, yeah. I mean, the, the the most from what I from from the research that I've done, almost all of the prisoners were were Air Force officers. So, so my assumption yeah. is they were probably in a different camp, but it, it is possible. Yes, that's right. That's right. Interesting. Interesting. Well, I thank you. You prompted my memory. I'll think of all sorts of things I should have told you. <laughs> I hope you have enough. Yes, we we definitely did. This is I, I I once again want to thank you from the bottom of my heart to, for 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 agreeing to to talk about the, your experiences during the making of the Great Escape. You've definitely enlightened me, and I'm sure you've enlightened all of our listeners to to many little facts that uh, we never would have known if we didn't have a chance to speak with you. So I, yes. I, I thank well, you for that. I thank you for your time. And any any one of them who had been there when I was there would have realized what a wonderful experience it was. Not just Germany, but the movie and John Sturgis and that whole company. And um, Maverick, as I used to call him. Uh, just an extraordinary and wonderful time in my life. Well, I, I appreciate and thank you for, for sharing those those memories and experiences with us. My pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much for your time and wish you the best of health. Thank you. And I, I wish you luck in with, with all your endeavors and you should you should have much time you should have a lot of time to spend with your, your family. Thank you.
Much appreciated. Yeah. So thank you very much. Thank you. Okay. I'm sorry, it's a little, we're a little closer. <laughs> yeah. But it's a long time ago. Yeah, but but that's fine. It's it's still important that we can get these memories, uh, you know, recorded now. Yeah, that's the important uh, thing. I tell you, I tell you a story about um, Donald Pleasance. It's quite amusing. Sure. Um, dealt with the fact that Donald had a house in France, and he was in the house in France, and towards the end, he drank rather a lot of champagne, and eventually it killed him. And I heard that he died. So I called his wife, who I knew well. And I said, darling, I'm really sorry I heard about Donald. It's just awful what happened. And she said, oh, David, it's so terrible. It's just awful. He just died. I mean, it didn't have to die. I mean, yeah. hold on a minute, she said. He's here. I'll call you, I'll call, I'll call you back. And she hung up. Now... You know, that's how, how it happened. A very short call. So I thought, she's lost it. And then the phone rang about an hour later. And she said, I'm sorry I had to go down, but Donald's here. I said, he's there? He said, yeah, his body. It just flew in from Gatwick. And I put him in the back room. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to bury him with his family or whatever, da, 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 da. But that's what the, that's what it was. But when she said he's here, I didn't realize it was the body that was there, not him. Wow. Yeah. yeah Donald. And the way that we sign off uh, on this this podcast is we say tally ho, which you know your your character in the movie said it a number of times. So if you'd like, you can you can uh, give a little tally ho shout out. Oh, tally ho. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Perfect. Tally ho. There we go.